Good morning. I'm Brett. I am one of the pastors at Bridgewater, and we are in a series called Relationship Goals. Before I go there, um, I just want to say, of, of all the people who are really, really excited that Bridgewater is fully staffed, I am the most happy. So I, I just want you to know that the, the last two jobs to fall were jobs that I was doing, and... Uh, I, I am no longer the lead pastor at Bridgewater, <sighs> and then Josh is, but he went on vacation for a month, so <laughs> I guess I am until July, um, and then uh, having Aaron and Amanda here and the kids here is so much of a blessing for me, um, because uh, I will then be able to hand the baton on and go back to doing what I used to do, which, which I don't really remember because it's been a couple of years, but they paid me for it. I, I'll have to just figure out what it was. But um, I am so thrilled. Uh, it's, been, it's been fun, and we're looking forward to what God has uh, when I put on the executive pastor hat again. Ah, so it's <clears throat> been, been a long journey. But we have to get through this first, um, getting through the, the gym baptism. That was, whew, but no, that was fun. I enjoyed that. But we're, we're in a relationship goals series, and this is, a, this is a, an awkward series. I mean, it's a, it's a goofy one. Um, I, I dodged the singleness series, uh, sermon because I'm not single anymore, and I dodged the dating sermon because I'm not dating anymore. Um, that's good. Yep, that would be unhealthy, I guess, if I was doing that. But today, we're going to look at marriage and what does God say about relationship goals in marriage? I cannot dodge this one. We celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary this week, Wednesday, last Wednesday. I did the math last week. I couldn't remember. It's 26 years. Um, and so relationship goals, what does God say about the goals we should have in marriage? If you have your Bibles, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 5. So... Uh, Please turn there. Um, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, we have a table out there with orange Bibles on it. They are free. Please take a Bible. We'd love it if you took a Bible. Um, they are free. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. Um, some of you have, have uh, phones that you have the Bible, and that's fine. That's great. Um, but we just want you to have a copy of God's Word. I want to start this morning with a, an illustration. And we've used it before, but I think it really, really does an excellent job of, of looking specifically at relationships and how we end up with goals that may not be exactly the, the goals that, that God would want us to have in our relationships. So each of us has, has hopes, desires, and dreams. Um, and we all have them, whether, whether we've been married or whether we're going to be married or, or whether we think we'll get married at some point, um, we all have these hopes, desires, and dreams. And we bring them into our relationships, into an engagement, and to the altar. And it, it's, it's kind of like this. You see, I, I have hopes, desires, and dreams. And I, I, know, I know how much money we'll have, you know, saved in the bank. I, I know we'll need to earn this much money. I, 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 I just... I, I think we'll be on a budget and we'll be really fiscally responsible and we, we won't ever owe, we'll pay cash for everything. And, and um, that's, 
that's important to me. I, I know how we'll handle conflict. You know, I, I understand exactly how we'll deal with that. Um, I know because I watched my mom and dad do it this way, and I'm, I'm sure that, that that's how we'll do it. I, I know how many children we'll have if we'll have children. I, I know that we'll have them right away, or, or I know that we'll wait 10 years, pay off our school debt, and then we'll have 19 children. And I just desire that, and I, I'm sure that that's something we'll do. I, I know exactly what we'll wear or what he'll wear to bed, or what she'll wear to bed, or, or I know exactly what we won't wear to bed. Um, I, I have hopes and desires and dreams. I, I know we'll have a house in the country with some land, or, or I know we'll rent in the city. I have exactly, a, and there's going to be a door that opens just like this, and it's going to be this color brown, and there's going to be gingerbread, and, and there's probably going to be a, a, a white picket fence, and um, there'll be neighbor kids that come and play with my kids, or, or there'll be cows down in the pasture, and I, I know exactly how that'll work. We have these ideas of what our future relationships will look like. They're, it's not bad. It's normal. We all have them. We have this, this box of hopes, desires, and dreams. And the challenge is, when we bring those hopes, desires, and dreams to a spouse. So I met my wife, and I bought a ring, and I brought my box of hopes, desires, and dreams, and I met her at the altar. The complicated part is she also brought a box of her hopes, desires, and dreams. <laughs> and they're different. Huh. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking that, that my hopes, desires, and dreams are perfect. It's common sense. Why wouldn't anybody want to live on a budget and stay out of debt? 19 children seems manageable. Doesn't everybody desire 19 children? Who's going to work the farm? <laughs> We're going to live in the country, and they will all wear leisure suits. <laughs> you know, and, and she also then shows up with her hopes, desires, and dreams box. We then pass this box of hopes, desires, and dreams to our spouse. The problem is they don't look or feel like hopes, desires, and dreams when we pass them on. They look like expectations. And all of a sudden, I feel like I am expected to do all these things for my spouse. And they carry a weight that messes up the relationship. This happens in every marriage. And the question is, how does a relationship ever work? I mean, God obviously did not intend us to fail at the start. There must be an answer. And I, I wonder if maybe the goals, relationship goals that I have in my box or the relationship goals that you had in your box, maybe those are the wrong goals. 
What does God say about some goals that we should have in relationships to help our marriages start off right? The Bible talks about that. So in the book of Ephesians, this is a letter written to the church of Ephesus, to the followers of Jesus who lived in the city of Ephesus. And Paul takes the first three chapters of this book and talks about who we are in Christ. Our identity, if we're a follower of Jesus, th- this is who we are in Christ. We are his, his son or daughter. We are, we are a joint heir with Christ. We are adopted into his family. And, and he talks about that in the first three chapters. Chapters four and five then, he starts talking about this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to be identified with Jesus. In chapter five, where we're going to sit, he gets to marriage. Okay, well, what does that look like? What would God want my relationship and your relationship goals in marriage to look like? We're going to look at three this morning in, uh, in chapter five. And the first marriage goal that we're going to look at is honor God. Honor God. So let's begin in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter five. Here, here's, what, here's what Ephesians 5, 21 says. Submit one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, now, there are, there are bells and whistles anytime we hear the word submit. What does that mean? What is that? I don't like that word. Okay, well, this, this is saying submit. Everybody should submit to one another. Submission is the idea of ranking oneself underneath another person. It, it would be voluntarily giving up rights in order to embrace somebody else's ideas. In, in military... Soldiers do this all the time, where, where there's a battle plan put in place, and they voluntarily give up their rights in order to serve together as a cohesive unit in order to accomplish a goal that was given them. They are submitting to somebody else. Even though they didn't probably draw up the battle plan, they're living subversively in, in submission So Paul is saying in verse 21 that everyone needs to submit to one another. And he goes on, he says, in reverence of Christ, for Christ. Now reverence would carry the idea of of respect. And this, this idea that my love, my respect, my awe for God, the creator of the universe, should compel me to submit. It should compel me to give up my rights to other people. And quite honestly, if we want a healthy marriage, it starts with honoring God through submission. This verse and this idea is so counterintuitive. It goes against everything our culture teaches us. Um, we, we are taught from a very early age to fight for our rights. There are songs about fighting for our rights. There are books written about fighting for our rights. <laughs> this is ingrained in us so deeply that when we read a verse like this, I'm kind of like, mm, I don't want to voluntarily give up anything. But this is in a marriage passage, and Paul says in order to start off right, <laughs> we need to honor God by learning how to live with each other. And, and if we want to live like Christ, out of reverence for Christ, we need to live in submission to one another. We need to be willing to serve each other. Honor God. 
This honor God uh, goal is huge. (laughs) It goes way beyond what I could cover in, in five or ten minutes. But I think it's boiled down in our second goal, which is to die to self. Die to ourself. I wish, I wish I could spend an hour on this because I think great marriages start with both my wife and I honoring God, but then they really, really are played out in this one, dying to myself. How much do I love and serve my spouse? How important am I? How important is she? How important are the things that she loves to me? How important do I think the things I love need to be to her? Verse 22, so let's, let's read about this. Paul, in, in this chapter, then says, here's what dying to self looks like for the woman. Here's what dying to self looks like for the husband. So, verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. <clears throat> Paul said it. Don't hate me. Um, that's what he says. I think that dying to self should look like wives submitting to their husbands. That verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. We talked about submission earlier, ranking oneself underneath another, willingly giving up rights, but I think that this submission thing is misused and abused, especially in Christian church circles, by a heavy-handed master who thinks that they're an autocratic individual who needs to rule somebody. And I don't think that is what this means at all. And I, I think that when we stop there and we grab that verse and use it as a club, we end up in a place that God didn't want us to be. Because I'm not convinced that this is the hardest part of marriage because what the man is required to do is at least equally as daunting. I'm a man, so it's easy for me to say that, I guess. Um, But I I do think that if done properly, submission is a healthy choice. Um, And and I I think biblically, in a biblical marriage, wives need to allow and even help their husbands be the leader of the home. I don't think submission is evil because Jesus chose to submit. I mean, we're told in, uh, in the Gospels that, that, that Jesus laid aside some of his rights so that God the Father could accomplish his purpose in the world. Jesus died. Surely that wasn't a part of Jesus' plan. But he did because the Father said, this is the plan, and he submitted himself. Philippians 2 talks about that, how he put himself under 
the authority of God the Father. Now, I, I don't want the husbands to get away with this, with, with those verses, and then we stop and say, okay, let's close in prayer. No. Husbands, you want to hear our responsibility? Whew, I'm sweating for a reason because I know these verses are coming. Um, dying to self for a husband looks like loving and caring and serving their wife even to death. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and died for it, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now the church in Paul's writing is referred to oftentimes as the bride. Jesus is referred to as the groom. There's a marriage there. And, and so when we read this and we read about Jesus and the church, it, it's talking about Jesus as the, the groom and, and the church being the bride of, of Christ. And it says he died. He loved the church so much that he laid down his life. And I think sometimes we miss that. And all of a sudden, we take the verses, the club out of the verse and say, aha, submit. And, and any woman worth her salt should say, yeah, read on. Because I'm pretty sure it says you need to die for me. <laughs> oh. Well, which one's the bigger sacrifice? I think biblically, if you want a biblical marriage, men, we are supposed to love our wives like we love ourselves. And we are supposed to serve them and love them to the point of being willing to die for them. Well, if I live that way, my wife is much more willing to allow me to lead because she trusts me and she believes I have her best interest in mind. I think when we don't have those two things in line, Marriages go sideways quickly. So I, I, was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, uh, if, if, if married, husbands, that's your role, to lay down our lives for our wives if necessary. As a single man, that ought to be what you aspire to when you get married. Ladies, that's the type of man you should have or be looking for. God's relational goals for married couple is very different than what's depicted on Netflix. I mean, we don't have a lot of cultural great examples. But here in this text, it says, wives living in submission to your husbands and encouraging them to be the leader of the home is what Paul says to do. Husbands loving and serving their wives so much that they are prepared to lay down their lives for them providing and caring for them like they provide and care for themselves. That's a biblical marriage. Those are the goals that should be in the box. So how does that look? I wrote down some. Husbands, how do I die to myself? What does that look like? Well, here are five. <clears throat> Number one, ask your wife's advice when you have a problem. 
I just heard a podcast this week that said that the IQ of men and women, equal. Statistically equal. Perfectly statistically equal. So I can die to self by asking my wife her advice. What do you think about this? How, how do I, what should I do? What should we do? Uh, here's one, tangible. Wash the dishes twice a week. <laughs> I got a whoo. Third one, take care of the children for a few hours so that she can have free time to do whatever she wants. Die to self. Next one, take 20 minutes a night to listen to her about her concerns and don't solve each one as she shares them. Just listen. I was talking to a buddy yesterday and he said his wife and I, he and his wife go to, uh, on walks every morning. They carry their coffee and they go for walks. He said, it's been great. That 20 to 30 minutes before, before they both go to work just realigns them, gives them a chance to share life together. And they're dying to self. Number, number five, discuss plans with her before making a decision. This is not, hey, honey, just so you know, this is what we did. This is... Hey, what do you think we should do? I, I, these decisions are coming up. Any thoughts? Dying to self. Humility comes to mind as a needed ingredient. Oof. Maybe it's giving up golf. I heard a groan. Maybe it's other things, but how do you die to self, men? How do you need to die to self? Women, ladies, wives, how do I die to self? I did run these past my wife, by the way, so I am not sitting in my office figuring these out. Um, number one, choose to believe the best about him. Choose to believe the best about him. Show confidence in his decisions. Number three, ask questions instead of making assumptions. Number four, develop or demonstrate grace in your words and tone. Number five, don't resent his past failures or use the words, I told you so. And I could add on there, even when you could use it and it would apply. <laughs> Dying to self is really hard. That's why a bunch of people don't do it. That's why there are more than 50% of marriages that end in divorce. And I bet if we said how many healthy marriages are out there, how many really happy marriages are out there, it would be way higher than, or way lower than 50%. Because we're not good at dying to self. Why would we want to? It does not sound fun. We need to honor God. We need to lay aside self and die to self. The third goal I think needs to be in our boxes would be we need to be experts in forgiveness not in each other's failures. 
So if I'm putting a box together of my hopes, desires, and dreams, I should have honor God in there. I should have die to self and serve the other one in there. And I should have be an expert on forgiveness. Not an expert on remembering the past and the other person's failures. It seems like when we hit turbulent times, we can easily come up with a long list of things that somebody else has to change. You know, if these seven things changed about my spouse, then things would be better. Verse 25. Again, except we'll look at it a little different. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. And then look at what Jesus did. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. And, And here's the forgiveness part. Without stain, wrinkle, or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Not only did Jesus give his life for the church, he gave forgiveness to followers of Jesus. He forgave us. He is an expert forgiver. And I think in a marriage relationship, we need to be experts at forgiving. Matthew 7 talks about... uh, being able to see the log in my eye before I try to pick the speck out of your eye. And, and Jesus is telling a story and he says, you know, you, you guys are so hypocritical because you're, he wasn't saying men, but he was saying people are so hypocritical because we so quickly look for the speck in that other guy's eye. And oh yeah, well you've got a, a little piece of sawdust in your eye while we don't see the log that's sticking out of our eye. And he's saying, come on. Where, where is the forgiveness? Where is the assumption that things are fine or good? Why is there always an assumption that things are off the tracks and terrible? Gary Thompson, he wrote, this, uh, he wrote Sacred Marriage, a book. And here's, here's what he says. He says, in, in, uh, I have a theory, he said, Behind virtually every case of marital uh, dissatisfaction lies unrepented sin. Couples don't fall out of love so much as they fall out of repentance. Sin, wrong attitudes, and personal failures that are not dealt with slowly erode the relationship, assaulting and eventually erasing the once lofty promises made in the throes of an earlier and less polluted passion. What Gary is saying is, over time, as we do not forgive, as we choose to remember, there is a film, a toxic film, that begins to build up on our relationships. And over time, that film gets thicker and thicker and thicker until it's almost unpenetrable and it wrecks relationships. He says... And I believe without forgiveness in a relationship, there's there's nothing but erosion and brokenness. Honor God, yes. Die to self, sure. Serve one another, of course. But forgive. And, And here's how forgiveness looks. First of all, I will not bring this up to you Again, 
I forgive you. What does that mean? It means I will not bring this up to you again. This is not a, oh, but remember, oh, but remember, oh, but remember, oh, but remember. Yeah, sure, sounds good. Oh, but remember. Number two, I will not bring this up to other people. This is not a water cooler talk. This is not a sharing with my mom about how bad my spouse is. No, it is forgiven. I will not bring it up to you. I will not be talking about it to other people. And then thirdly, I will not dwell on it myself. I will not allow myself to be driving down the road running that conversation through my head over and over and over again and answering you in a different way this time because in my mind I win every argument. Not healthy. Not true forgiveness. Some of you are probably saying, but, but I, I can't ever forgive them for what they did. You don't understand. I, I can't get there. And I would say, why, why not just work on loving them instead of working on forgetting? Work on loving. I, I have something in my life that I try to do, and it, I, it works, so I don't do it as much as I should. I know that sounds weird, but... Um, when I'm really having a problem with somebody, when, when they're just bugging me, like not just bugging me, but I mean bugging the bejeebies out of me, like, like I want to, I want them to go away. <laughs> and, and, and I have people like that in my life that really grate me, and I, I, I do not like them, and I know I'm supposed to love them. Here, here's, here's what I've found. When I begin to pray for them every day, my love for them, God helps me love them. And that tends to change my perspective on those people. And I think that's what I mean here. Work on loving the person instead of trying so hard to forget. And I think that as you love them and as you ask God to help you love them, the moving on, the, the forgetting will, will fall into place. I, I don't know where you are in this, in, in Ephesians 5, um, but I know that a lot of us come in to our marriages feeling like we are finished products. <clears throat> Boy, if she knew what she was getting in me. <laughs> yeah, I've got my hopes, desires, my dreams all in this box, and they are good. And she's going to want them because they're good ones. Who doesn't want to be out of debt? Who doesn't want to have 19 children? Who doesn't want to live in the country, in the city, with an apartment, big house, and have a lot of land and no land? And like, of course, she's going to want me to be in my leisure suit. I mean, who doesn't want a nice red leisure suit? Which comes with the buttons. This is actually one of my sons. True story. He takes after my wife. No. It really is. He bought it. Um, but but I, think, I think we think that when we come to marriage, we are a finished product. We are so shiny. And look at us. And who wouldn't love this? And I think it takes, sometimes I think it takes God putting a mirror up to us 
and, and helping me to see the discolored, disjointed reflection in that mirror of really who I am and, and that my motives really aren't pure and, and that when I serve her, I'm not dying to self. I'm serving with an agenda to try to get something. And I see that picture in the mirror and I think, ah, I'm not that perfect someone. And I think every one of us needs to have that opportunity to see the reflection in the mirror and recognize that we need to be working on our marriages. We need to be working on honoring God. We need to be working on serving each other, humbly dying to ourselves. And we need to get better at forgiveness. An expert at forgiveness, not at remembering. I have the three of them, and they're up there on a slide, and my question would be, which one of these three can you target and say, all right, God, I need to work on that one. If I want my marriage to be more like what Paul wrote about in Ephesians 5, that's the one that I'm going to need to zero in on. And then which one would you say, okay, I'm going to pray every day this week that God will help me with number one, that God will help me with number two, that God will help me with all three. Because there are marriage goals we need to have. They have very little to do with the house. They have everything to do with what God said in his word about serving one another, about dying to self, about honoring him, and about forgiving. Let's pray. Father, you, you made marriage, and obviously you understand way better than, than I do what, what that's supposed to look like, what you want that to look like, and, and yet I, I know that you don't want dysfunction. You did not create dysfunction. You created health and progress and growth. Father, please help us. Uh, those of us who are married, help us to help us to humbly work hard to have biblical marriages. Please point out to us and help us to be receptive to the reflections that we see in the mirror that's not, not always glowing. Help me to be humble enough to accept that and, and give me the desire to work on it. I, I pray for, for this church, for this body of believers, this campus, Vestal Campus. God, please allow us to be uh, known as men and women who pursue biblical marriages and biblical relationships. I, I think also of the, the people here who are not married that are, that are wanting to be or at some point desire to. I, I ask that, that they would be able to be working on this before they ever come to a point of marriage so that they're in even a better situation than, than I ever was before marriage. Most of all, help us to honor you. Um, we want you to be great. And if our marriages can be a reflection of who you are, that's what we want. Um, we want you to be known. 
We want you to get glory. So help our lives to, to be good at that.